There's a thirst that's universal describing what it is and what people will do to quench it. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. People will do anything that they can possibly think of to try to quench that thirst because deep down inside we all need God. Our lives will never be complete and cannot be complete without Him. And there's a hunger in a loveless culture for a real demonstration of love. There's a hunger and a thirst for the love of God. And yet you find man spending their whole lives trying to live apart from God's love. They want the love of God, they just don't want the God of love. This is amazing grace. It's been well said, there is a God-shaped hole in my heart. And maybe you've noticed, God is often sought last or not at all. It's a tragic mistake all too many make. So we must be on our guard and help others as well. Today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor will help us do that and more. We'll be wrapping up our series entitled, With. We'll do so by emphasizing that God is with us evidenced by his lavish love given to us. From Romans 5, here again is Pastor Ed. God is going to love you to the end, and he's going to pursue you to the end, and he wants to be in relationship with you to the end. And it all started with love. Our connection to God started with love, and it continues as God is working. Notice in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, that trials and tribulations produce. God is working What is he producing through the trials? He's producing patience or perseverance, I should say, or endurance, character. And listen, those of us in trial, God is developing hope in us. And this hope does not disappoint. This hope does not disappoint. Disappointment is tied. Listen, disappointment is tied to expectations. So that when I expect something and you don't do it, I'm disappointed in you. God doesn't have wrong expectations of you and me. So he's never disappointed in you. He never disappointed in you. Think about that. Your father in heaven, he's never disappointed in you because he knows you. And he knows as a dad what you need to grow and mature. But we often are disappointed. We're disappointed with each other and we often are disappointed with God. Only because I believe we've stepped outside of love and stepped outside of hope. Because the Bible says hope does not disappoint. And remember, hope is not a feeling. Hope is not a decision. Hope is a person. Hope is found in our faith in Jesus Christ through the power of the gospel, the greatest display of God ever, to see a person born again, to see a person go from loveless to loving, from ungodly To godly, to me it's powerful. And to think that God is overflowing us with his love is amazing. Let me show you a couple more things before we go. 1 John, turn over with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. 
the love of God. You know, the Bible is a book of love. It starts with God and ends with God, and then love flows through our lives, changes our families, rescues a sinner, breaks addiction, takes hopelessness and replaces it with hope. And I love this in 1 John chapter 4. Notice with me verse 17, where John writes and he says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. And verse 19 is so good. We love him because he first loved us. You see, love came down before it ever went up. God is the initiator. He started it all. But then notice this. Verses 20 and 21 are just as powerful and, and just as sweet. It says, if someone says, I love God. So let's say that out loud. You ready? I love God. Say it out loud. I love God. Okay, so everyone's accountable to what the rest of the verse says. I love God. And I know you do. I know it's not just something you, okay, pastor, you tell me to, I'll say it, but I don't really want to say it. I know you love God. I know those of you that are born again have a real relationship with God. So here we are. If you say, I love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. If we say, I love God, but I hate my brother, then I'm not telling the truth. Why? Because he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. This is across the board. It's not just to one group of people. It's across the board. We have a tendency in our lives to take sides on every issue. And what, what you do when you take sides is you value one group and you put down the other. However, if God has created us all in his image, then you're going to love the people you agree with and you're going to love the people you disagree with. Why? Because you love God. You have the love of God in you. And so the peacemakers, the peacemakers on the earth, that's you and me. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, are going to have a supernatural love that's different than what the world experiences. And when I say world, I mean our culture. It's a supernatural, otherworldly love that God has poured out into our hearts, that God has initiated, and that we're the responders. And so it causes us to say, I love God. That's the first part of the, of the summary of the law. Jesus said, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. I love God. And love your neighbor as yourself. All of us. And to me, that... That could be a source today of your hopelessness. I know it's hard to hear, but I need to say it. A source of your hopelessness today could be from your lovelessness. That you forget that this world is not all there is. And the only hope for men and women, boys and girls, in this culture is the love of God. That's the only hope. There is no other source of hope. No other source. The world that we live in is thirsty. Let me show you. Turn over to John chapter 7 now. John chapter 7. I can't help but turn to this section of the Bible in John 7, 37. 
I can't help but think of our time on the southern steps outside the retaining wall of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. That's one of our stops when we take a tour there. We go to the southern steps. Uh, the group sits up on the steps looking south, and then I get to look up and teach the group looking north, looking up to the wall. If I were to turn around and look with the group, I would see a sloping hill going downward. You can't see it, but at the end of Hezekiah's tunnel, which is another place you could walk through Hezekiah's tunnel, you will end up in a place known in the Bible as the Pool of Siloam. And at the time that John, chapter 7, verse 37 takes place, through the southern steps, through the gate, through the southern steps, the priest would go down on every day of this feast with a large jar. And they would go into the pool of Siloam and they would fill that jar with great rejoicing and great celebration. And they would come up, up through the stairs, into the temple mount, around the altar, and they would pour that water out as a remembrance of God's faithfulness to quench their thirst in the wilderness. They'd look back on what God did and they'd be encouraged. They'd do that every day, every day, every day, except the eighth day, the last day. On the last day, they didn't go down and get water. They would have an empty pitcher symbolizing that God has satisfied their thirst, that he is the one that's satisfying. Now, check this out. This is the last day in verse 37. On the last day, the day when no water is poured out, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So here's this great celebration, the faithfulness of God, quenching the thirst of his people. On the last day, it's satisfied, it's done. And Jesus stands and says, you know, I know that even though you're in a symbolic feast and you're worshiping God, I know that you're still thirsty. And if anybody here is thirsty, he says, you come to me and I will quench your thirst from the inside. Inside, out of your innermost being will flow rivers, torrents of living water. To which you connect with Romans 5, 5. And you know the Spirit of God poured into you. Out of you will come torrents of living water, of torrents and rivers of, well, of love connected with the Holy Spirit. That we have the love of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. And so the greatest demonstration of your salvation is how you love. And to see you love. And how is love demonstrated? But demonstrated through action and through obedience. You say, Ed, well, what does love look like? Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 now. Really, if you want to know the love of God, you read through the scriptures and you see God because God is love. But to help us along the way, we do have a short demonstration of love in 1 Corinthians 13. And it's worth repeating for our time today. Pick up in verse 4 where it describes love. These are descriptions of what love looks like. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Verse 5, love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes 
all things, endures all things, and love never fails. Jesus says, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for this type of love? He's talking about a deep spiritual thirst that's in every human being, a universal thirst that people will do whatever they, they will do anything that they can possibly think of to try to quench that thirst. Because deep down inside, we all need God. Our lives will never be complete and cannot be complete without him. And there's a hunger in a loveless culture for a real demonstration of love. There's a hunger and a thirst for the love of God. And yet you find man spending their whole lives trying to live apart from God's love. They want the love of God, they just don't want the God of love. And so maybe even some of you listening, watching, sitting here today, that's the course of your life. You've done everything possible to try to quench that thirst and you still are empty and dissatisfied. You're still unhappy. You even attained the goal that you had. And then once you got it, you said, is this all there is? And it left you more empty than before. A lot of people choose the route of some sinful action, like sin will give it to me, and only to find out not only will sin not satisfy you, it will wreck you, and you'll be worse off than when you started. You know, dumb things in our culture. You know, if your hair is this color, you'll be happy. If you drive this car, you'll be happy. If you own this house and live in this neighborhood, if I just had this amount of money, I'd be happy. And yet you find that it's not what you have in the bank that's designed to make you happy. It's what you have in the bank of how God's going to use you. And it's not the house you've ever wanted. Like the house that God has given you is to be used for his glory. It's not to satisfy you. No house is going to satisfy you, but God will satisfy you. No amount of money. I mean, how much money could you possibly have that would satisfy you? And now some of you go, I don't know, Ed, but I'd sure like to test it. No, well, I would too. But God doesn't have that for me. He says, no, what I have for you is not money, Ed. I have myself for you. I have all that you want, Ed. And I approach him and you approach him by faith. By faith. I trust that God has for me what he wants for me because he's going to use me for his glory. There's a song that I was introduced to not too many months ago by a man by the name of Pat Barrett. And we actually sing quite a few songs. So I would encourage you, if you subscribe to music services, you should listen to this song called Better by Pat Barrett. And I want to read to you some of the lyrics here that I have from this song. I've been listening to it a lot recently and uh, it's on my playlist. It's so good. This brother's so gifted. Here's some of the lyrics of the song. It says, All the money that the world could hold, mountains made of solid gold, riches that could buy my dreams, you are better than all these things. The prettiest face to turn their eyes, beauty that could hypnotize, the open doors that looks may bring, you are better than all these things. Power that could shake the moon. Most important one in every room. Status matched by only kings. You are better than all these things. Being liked and loved by everyone. Approval that outshines the sun. Cheered by all who think of me. You are better than all these things. 
And it encapsulates just a few of the strands that people will chase after to enjoy some sort of happiness and satisfaction. And Jesus says, no, no, no. If you're thirsty, come to me. If you're thirsty, come to me. If that's where you are today, Jesus invites you to himself. Go back to Luke chapter 6, verse 6. You got to see this because this is how we got to end. I don't want you leaving here feeling helpless or hopeless. And Jesus gives us insight of his power in Luke chapter 6, verse 6. It's the instance where Jesus healed that man with the withered hand. It was on the Sabbath. And a lot of times it gets caught up with, you know, the Sabbath. These guys, you know, the religious guys are all upset and they're mad at Jesus. And and notice, pick up with me in verse 6 of Luke 6, 6, where it says, It happened on another Sabbath that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. People are always looking to make an accusation. They're always watching, because critical hearts are always critical, and that's where they're at. They don't care about this guy with the withered hand. These are the ones that represent God, and they don't care about a man who has a withered hand. They just want to trap Jesus. Jesus, it says, knew their thoughts in verse 8. And said to the man with the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. That really is no big deal if you think about it. This is something the man with the withered hand could do. His body was okay. So he could get up and walk. And I love that about Jesus. Many times in preparing us to do the impossible, God calls us to do the possible. God's about ready to explode on this guy. But before he does, he's got to get up and come over. I guess the guy could have said, I don't want to get up. Why should I get up? You come to me. I mean, I guess he could have copped an attitude, but that's not where he was. Because, you know, when you live with pain, you live with difficulty, you live with a withered hand, you live with oppression, you're ready to follow the Lord, the one that will love you to the end. That's where he's at. And he has to walk in front of all the religious rulers and all their pomp and circumstance and all their critical eyes and all the whispers. He doesn't care. And he does, he does what God calls him to do. Jesus says, do this, and he could do it, so he did it. But notice, Jesus then looks around and says, verse 9, I'll ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And looking around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Now this was impossible. The guy had a withered hand. And I wonder how many times He woke up or thought and sent the signal from his brain down his spinal cord, through his nerve endings, all the way to the end, and he sent the signal, move, move. Will it move today? Did my finger move? And he'd be looking to say, did I get healed? Did God answer my prayers? And day after day, and week after week, and month after month, and year after year, withered hand, withered hand, withered hand. Listen, that could describe your life today when it comes to love, even as a believer, you haven't transcended into the area and the fruit of the Spirit that's love. And there's still a lot of hatred in your heart. And there's still a lot of anger and frustration in your heart, maybe toward a person, maybe toward a people, maybe toward a country, maybe toward who knows. Every day, every week, every month, it's just ingrained in you. You love God, but at the same time, you hate people. 
you hate your brother and you're like the guy with the withered hand, you know, you'll get up and come to church, you can do that. You give your tithes and offerings, you can write a check. You'll show up and when we feed the homeless, you can do that, you can make burritos, you, you'll go on a mission trip because you can do that. God calls you, you've been, your whole life of ministry, God's been calling you to do things you can do, you can do, you can do, and now he calls you to do something you feel like you can't do. So he tells the guy with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. And I wonder, one more time he sends the signal, stretch out your hand. And there could have been so much there. I, like, what are you talking about? I've been trying to do this for years. Like, I'm not stretching out my hand. I'm not going to look like a fool. I'm not going to look like an idiot in front of everyone. I'm not stretching my hand. But that's not what the Bible says. The next four words, stretch out your hand. And he did so. Because this is what we learn. His hand was restored as the other. And everyone else is filled with rage and discuss how they're going to kill Jesus. Such an opposite view of what Jesus wants to do. So here's what we learn about this guy. We learn that when God sends the command, he also sends the power to obey at the same moment. He doesn't send a command for you to do something today and say, well, I hope you can get it done. I hope you can do it. I hope you can do it with all the strength you can muster. No, he actually calls us to do the impossible. And then in the instant, in the moment the command went out, the same moment the power went out, and it was matched by this guy's faith. The power of God meets that purpose at the same time. And you find yourself doing things you've never done before. And the dude can't call him the man with the withered hand anymore because he doesn't have it. His hand was restored. Remember, we learned last time, God loves to rescue, redeem, and what? Restore. Indeed, He does. God wants to restore you and then use you to reach out with His love to bring the restoration that only God's love and power can bring. We're finishing up Pastor Ed Taylor's series with Here on Abounding Grace. You can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. Pastor Ed, your new book, God's Help for the Troubled Heart, is out. Now, who is this written for and why do they need to read this? Well, Larry, this has been a book we've been working on for a couple years now, and it is finally out, and we're very encouraged by that. I know that it's going to be an encouragement to anyone that chooses to read it. I think it many times throughout the years, throughout life, we have troubled hearts. and can be troubled about many things. Remember, uh, it was to Martha uh, and Mary, remember in their house, it was to Martha that Jesus said, you know, you're worried and troubled about many things, and a lot of things trouble our hearts. I think this book will be an encouragement to anyone that's discouraged, uh, that's battling depression, that is going through grief, that's suffered life's disappointments, uncertainties, those that might be worried. Uh, you name it. It is a resource that I believe, after these years of working on it and editing it, that God will use in a wonderful way. Of course, it's to be used with a Bible. So have a Bible open and use this resource to encourage you. Uh, it's been written uh, from my heart as, it, as these uh, studies were delivered to our church, edited down into book form, and then edited some more. I think anyone, uh, not only anyone that's dealing with a troubled heart or concerns and cares of life, but 
it's a great gift for those in your life as well. And I encourage you to pick it up. A lot of work put in was put into it, and we're very, very happy uh, to make it available to you. So thanks for asking. Get a copy of God's Help for the Troubled Heart for a donation of $25 to Abounding Grace when you call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. And as we begin another year of delivering God's Word one verse at a time, we're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. One other thing you might want to check out if you're in the midst of grief or suffering is Pastor Ed's blog. He shares raw thoughts on life, ministry, and grief at edtaylor.org. What's next, you may be wondering. Tomorrow on Abounding Grace, we'll be sharing a timely message shared not long ago by Pastor Ed called, Church, Let's Rise Up. You don't want to miss this one. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.